Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame. This is a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm your host, Frank, and this is another one of my first look episodes, this time of the player cards of Dark Side of the Moon. I wanted to insert some Pink Floyd music at this point, but I'm a bit wary about doing it for rights reasons, so I'm going to refrain. Anyway, we're here. The pack has finally arrived. I think it's about nearly two weeks later than America. It arrived for me on Saturday, but I was busy all weekend and couldn't get it. It was infuriating, and it's a Monday evening now. I've got the pack. I thought, let's make hay while the sun isn't shining, while it's dark and freezing cold, like we're on the dark side of the moon. It would just be good to dive in and take a look at these cards. Let's do it. The first card is the Point Three Five Winchester. It's a four-cost asset, no XP, with an agility icon, making me think of the 45 automatic, item, weapon, and firearm traded, uses five ammo. Action, fight, you get plus two combat for this attack. If a plus one, zero, or elder sign chaos token is revealed during this attack, this attack deals plus two damage. And it takes up two hands, like the Thompson. Now, I'm afraid I already know about this card, and the reason I know about it is because there's an error here. The action ability to fight doesn't spend any ammo, so you play this for four and get five ammo on it, but then have unlimited shots with it, which obviously doesn't make sense. So yeah, uh, already we've heard that it should say action, spend one ammo, fight. Take it as read that it should say that. Is it any good? Okay, all the way back to episode one, weapons on the cast... The 45 automatic costs you 4 resources and gives you 4 shots for a total of 8 damage. This also costs you 4 resources, gives you 5 shots for a total of 5 damage. So for the same cost you're getting 3 fewer damage, which to me is not very good. Except it's giving you a slightly bigger combat boost, a plus 2 instead of a plus 1. So that 5 damage is more reliable. And it's giving you a chance for each of those five points of damage to be three points. So it's five hyphen 15 damage in total, if you can pull the right tokens. What is the likelihood of pulling those tokens? Let's roll all the way back to Knight of the Zealot and the standard chaos bag there. There's one Elder Sign, there's one plus one, and there's two zeros, I believe, and then three minus ones, is that right? And so there's four tokens of a total of 16, which is a 25% chance. So you could expect over four shots to do one, two, three, six damage. That's three singles and one of the hits being a three damage thing, which puts this slightly below the 45 automatic. Muddying the math slightly is the fact that it's not four shots, it's five shots. So it's a little bit trickier to work out where you're going to end up. If it was 6 damage, maybe 7 damage, you're still below the curve for the 45 automatic. So yeah, that feels a little bit to me. I'm sort of having an interesting feeling about this card. I suppose then where you maybe want to go with this card is thinking about does the fact you get extra ammo mean you can do other things like play Eat Lead and fish for two tokens, or warning shot, and evade a bunch of enemies at your location, or push them away from you at least. Or even then kind of do something nuts, say, in Leo with contraband, and suddenly you've got 10 ammo on this, and you can really 
start fishing for tokens. Or maybe you want to put it in an investigator who can actually do proper chaos bag manipulation. So maybe you want to put this in someone like Jim, and he uses this as his main weapon with shriveling and other things like that. And if he's anyway using Olive McBride to fish for tokens, that would be great. Except, as I realised, Jim gets to treat the modifiers of skulls as zero, but he doesn't actually get to treat skulls as zero, so this still doesn't combo that particularly well with him. Other places I wondered about were maybe Diana Stanley or maybe Zoe Samaras, maybe. Of course, the fact that this is two-handed adds to that slight feeling of you probably want a way of doing damage that doesn't require other hand slots. So pure guardians who might want some kind of melee weapon and a single-handed gun before they upgrade into their two-handed big weapon are maybe not going to like this. Um, maybe? You know, maybe they are. Maybe it'll be fun. So yeah, it's a bit of a weird one to start with, really. I think it's falling into a fun-slash-interesting place for weapons, but it's not getting me too excited. I think probably the final thing I'd say about it is maybe you'd use it like Song of the Dead, where you take a shot with this, hoping to hit three damage, and if you don't, you follow up with your two damage weapon that finishes off the enemy. So you could save yourself actions occasionally against three health enemies by being lucky, but you can't guarantee it. Maybe if you're in multiplayer and you've got someone playing Premonition or things like that, maybe there's also more reasons to go fishing for the, the hits you need. But yeah, it's uh, it's an odd one. It lands in a kind of strange place to me, really. But yeah, let's let's watch the space and see if it um, see if certain cards turn up that make it worthwhile. You know, maybe we'll see a bit of bag manipulation for guardians. Maybe that will become a thing. Who knows? Okay, the next card. It's another guardian asset. It's a two cost, two XP safeguard, willpower and agility icons. It's a talent. Flavor text, keep an eye out for any trouble, she told me. I rolled my eyes. There was always trouble. Who is that on the art? It's almost like skids, right? Someone. Okay, and it has a reaction. During another investigator's turn, exhaust safeguard. For the remainder of that investigator's turn, as they move from your location to a connecting location, you may move to that location as well. Wow. Okay, movement for Guardians, but it's the weirdest kind of movement. It requires another player. It requires them to leave your location to somewhere else, and you then tap Safeguard and follow them. So you've paid 2 cost and 2 XP to essentially never spend an action to move again. As long as someone else moves, you just tail them, which is kind of nice. I can see it being really useful purely for action efficiency and not moving, but then also for moving enemies around if you want them to. If you are playing in parties of three or more, you could use an unengaged investigator to pull you, the Guardian, to a location with enemies and another investigator to help them out, because you'd say, oh, you go first, you move us in there, and then you're in there and you've saved an action. And essentially, the Guardian is normally trailing someone in the party and maybe spending their actions as they set up to draw cards play the assets they need and waiting for enemies and they might be spending actions to kind of keep close and this is just more incentive that once you've played this if the seeker says oh i'm going off to this side of the map you just get dragged along with them as you safeguard them pretty nice i guess also this really keys nicely off a card like shortcut if someone shortcuts through your location you can exhaust safeguard and 
well, you do it before they shortcut in because it will be during their turn. And for the remainder of their turn, as they move from your location to a connecting location, you may move to that location as well. So even if they're moving actionlessly, you're moving as well. I like it. Really nice. What a shame it's no good in solo, eh? Just cool guardian movement. Probably at the right kind of cost and XP cost. Pathfinder, I'd say, at 1 XP is on the good deal side of things. So yeah, this is probably in in a nice place. I like it. It's cool. Ooh, and the next card is Practice Makes Perfect. It's our first Seeker card. And this card was announced to the community by Man From Leng, I believe. It's a one-cost event, zero XP, willpower and intellect icons. It's Gambit and Tactic traded. It reads, Fast, play during a skill test at your location, so your skill test or someone else's. Search the top nine cards of your deck for a practiced skill and commit it to this skill test, if able. Shuffle the remaining cards back into your deck. After this test ends, if it was successful, add that skill to your hand instead of discarding it. So you're paying one, searching nine cards for a skill that has the practice trait, getting to commit it to the card, and then getting to draw it. Which is kind of cool. Of course, it begs the question, what skill cards are practiced? And there aren't many. There are 18. I've looked them up on ArkhamDB. There are some fantastic core set ones there, such as Overpower and Perception, the two aggressive or forward-moving skill cards of the neutral suite. There's also Vicious Blow and Deduction, level 0 and level 2. There's also an announced card from the Weaver of the Cosmos, which is 5 XP, which is kind of interesting. And there's a couple of mystic things in there as well. Enraptured, Prophesy, Torrent of Power. There's a card that we announced, Three Aces, which is pretty cool. And Stunning Blow and Take the Initiative are in there as well, a Survivor and a Guardian. Finally, there's Hatchet Man and Momentum for Rogues. So fetching momentum can be quite nice, I would say. One of the nice things about momentum is it gives you value for repeated tests, depending on how much you've passed. So that's kind of cool. So I can see this falling in a couple of places as a card. I like, by the way, that it's Kate Winthrop on the art. Leaves me wondering if she's coming next. We've seen a couple of hints that it might be her next. So Mandy, you could search the top 12 cards of your deck, or you could search the top nine for two practiced skills. Mandy can obviously run those mystic skills if she wanted to. She could also run the rogue skills, including three ace, momentum, and hatchet man. She also could obviously run the seeker skills. So she she has access to quite a few of those, and you get to commit those and then use them again. That feels pretty nice, I would say. It's another search in her deck as well. Always pretty good. Then I was wondering about anyone as well who wants to run deduction or vicious blow, because they're both quite potent skills. And so I ended up thinking about Roland or Joe, who might be running Deduction and Vicious Blow. And you have this in hand, and if you don't have the skill card you need for the situation you're in, paying one to give yourself a chance to fetch that card would be useful. Particularly, I think, with either of those cards, because they're giving you action compression, two clues instead of one, and extra damage. You'd get to use the Deduction and get two clues, and then have it in hand, and then go and get another two clues from somewhere else. That feels like it's really worth it. The practice makes perfect is tutoring the card, but then it's also acting as a duplicate of the card. You're spending two cards for two versions of the same one. So that seems seems pretty cool. I could see practice makes perfect maybe ending up a little bit like prepared for the worst, where you run it as a one-off and you tutor the key skill that you need. So yeah, I like that as well. 
And it behooves me as a Mark player to mention that this is tactic traded at level zero, so Mark can take it, which makes it pretty good, obviously. I'm aware that that's become a bit of a cliche. I will just note that the home front, his neutral skill, is practiced traded. So if you were desperate to be tutoring that up, you could use practice make perfect. I'm grinning as I say all of this because, of course, with Mark, you draw cards so quickly anyway. I don't think you want to run any deck tutors. You know, you just damage yourself and find the cards you need. That would be what I do anyway. I have to mention it because it's a tactic, but I'm not sure if it's that vital. And then the other place that maybe this fits, given that I've just been playing him, is in Norman. and Or maybe in any kind of Mystic Seeker build where you want to fetch some of those specific cards and like a deduction, say, or like an enraptured if you're trying to charge up a spell. If you're already running Astounding Revelation, having more ways of searching your deck gives this card more value. You know, if you use this Astounding Revelation for two resources, that's making this card free and you're gaining a resource. Or if you're using Astounding Revelation for a secret, maybe you've run out of Rook secrets and you play Practice Makes Perfect, fetch a deduction, put a secret on Rook, pretty tasty. So yeah, it's a nice, it's a cool, flexible card. Oh my goodness, i just seen the cost of the next card. This is a 10 cost event for 1 XP. It's a Seeker event. Extensive research, two intellect icons. It's insight traded, as many Seeker events are. Hey, practice makes perfect, not insight traded, gambit and tactic. Worth remembering along with eidetic memory. Anyway, sorry, back to extensive research. Nothing in here either. How many do we have left? See the wall behind you? Oh, it's Min and Mandy in the art by Andrea Ugrai doing research, I would guess, hunting through books. That's cool to see two investigators that we know and love on the art. Okay, what does it do? Reduce the cost to play extensive research by one for each other card in your hand. Discover two clues at your location. Oh, <laughs> so you're spending an action to discover two clues. How much is that worth? Intel report says four cost. Mystic says two cost. They've got a couple of events that do that. Survivor also says two cost. If you have eight other cards in your hand, this becomes a two cost event. If you're running the DES, you could comfortably have 10 cards in your hand and this becomes free. Action, gain two clues. It all hinges, of course, on whether you can fill your hand. And as Peter and I have been banging on about in recent episodes, seekers seem to be able to do that par excellence, and they just want more justification for doing it. Curiosity obviously gives you bonuses. It turns on higher ed when you're over five, but having more things that make it worth you having a hand of 10 or 12, make it worth playing the DES, sort of justify it. This is exactly a card that allows you to do that which is kind of cool. The 1 XP means that people like the Dunwich Gators are gated out. I'm just trying to think if there's anyone else who runs Seeker who would be really tempted to have a huge hand of cards. I can't think of anyone. I do like the flexibility as well, just as I pause. You could run this in someone like, say, Roland. You run Cena of the Crime, this, and use his ability, and that's how you get clues. And as long as you keep a full hand... You could play this when you have eight cards in hand, so it would cost you three, because you'd have seven remaining cards in hand. Pay three for two clues at any shroud. Like, that's still a, a steal. 
Like I said, for Intel report, it's pay four, but it's in a faction that can generate the resources. The weird thing is, in Seeker, I can imagine Seeker's just not needing it and just saying, why would I spend two on this when I can just not worry about it? And funnily enough, it makes me think then that maybe Mandy really likes it if you're doing testless clue Mandy. It's kind of counterintuitive given her intellect is five, but I've had quite a lot of fun playing a Mandy that doesn't really take any tests. She's so powerful in that way. She just searches her own deck and sort of truffles things up. And I know Peter's done the same. So yeah, maybe maybe there's something there. Maybe. Crazy card. I mean, this is the kind of card that you show off with at events, right? You pay play this 10-cost event just, just for the fun of it. Pretty cool. And yeah, it's worth noting that it's two testless clues, which if you end up at you know the end of Before the Black Throne and the Shroud is just through the roof... This still gets you the final two clues. There are plenty of other places where the shroud is high. You just buy the two clues. You know, paying, I'd say paying three, four, maybe at a push five, just to get the clues you need, if you can afford it. That's, you know, clues are how you often win scenarios, or at least more often than not. So yeah, nice card. Funky card. Okay, and the next card is three aces. There are three copies of it. Oh, I've just seen the card afterwards as well. Oh, wow, okay. Three aces we got to announce. Fun card. It's a skill, a rogue skill for one XP. It has a wild icon. It's myriad, so you can buy all three copies for one XP. Fortune and practice traded, so it synergizes nicely with practice makes perfect. If you commit three copies of three aces to a skill test, that test automatically succeeds. Do not reveal chaos tokens from the chaos bag. Then draw three cards and gain three resources max once per test which stops you drawing three cards and gaining three resources from all three copies of three aces committed, obviously. I really like the idea of using Practice Makes Perfect to fetch the last one. One of the things we talked about in our first look was the difficulty of making sure you had all three copies. I think it fits really nicely in Mandy because of her superior deck searching ability, but I think rogues who draw a lot of cards and have a lot of cards in hand can maybe make use of it as well. After that episode... I ended up thinking quite a lot about the distinction between automatic success and testlessness. And I feel like, broadly speaking, my thinking has been a bit out of whack. I think of testlessness as really strong, but automatic success is a bit, oh, it's all right if I can get it, but it's not vital. And of course, you know, playing, working a hunch, you're saying you're, you're not spending an action, first of all, but you're just, you're saying investigate, discover a clue. You're paying two for the the privilege of not spending an action and not drawing a token from the chaos bag. It's restricted in some ways. Obviously, you can't throw in a deduction and get two clues instead or, or whatever it is. But if working a hunch instead read, you know, commit to an investigation, you get the action back afterwards and you get the clue. Would we say it was still as good a card? Maybe not. Uh, so, yeah, I'm left sort of slightly scratching my head about the distinction between automatic success and testlessness. And Peter and I went on quite a long time about, well, automatic success is only as good as the test you put it into. And then I was left thinking automatic success is still better than drawing a token. And if you can engineer the situation where you can avoid that and gain three resources for your trouble and give yourself a plus three to the test, that's then going to be difficulty zero as well. Like, that's pretty strong, right? For one XP, for a third of XP for each card, it's pretty nice. Okay, moving on. As I said, excited. This is a leveled up burglary. It's one cost, 
2 XP. It's now got double intellect icons rather than single. I love these leveled up cards because they test memory of the core set. It's talent and illicit traded. I think it was that as well. Action, exhaust burglary, investigate. If you succeed, instead of discovering clues, gain two resources plus one additional resource for each point you succeed by to a maximum of plus three resources. You've got to love rogues, haven't you? Their upgraded version of a card they already have gives you fewer resources than the level zero one. The level zero one is investigate. Instead of discovering clues, gain three resources. This one is gain two with a chance of gaining five. Five resources for an action is pretty sweet. What does better than that? A good payday? Hot streak level two? Pay five, get ten? You can play, you can use this from broke and get five resources. But it comes with the risk of taking the test and making sure you succeed and succeeding by enough to make it worthwhile. Obviously, you can't combo it with lockpicks, so you can't do anything cheeky there. But what you can do is if you've done any boosts to your intellect, so using, say, Lola Santiago, you can use that to combine with this. So a good home might be Finn with his intellect of four. four. With Lola, he's intellect five. Maybe you do some cheeky things about investigating low shroud locations the other way you mess with shrouds is you use that other card with two intellect icons the skeleton key to drop the shroud to one and then you're consistently investigating at three or four over the threshold if you're finn and that means taking a punt on a burglary to get two to four resources a time is pretty good what it also does is further incentivize using succeed by two for investigations you can't use watch this but you could use double or nothing, quick thinking, momentum, what else am I forgetting, opportunist, daredevil that's coming in the next pack, potentially three aces to succeed by however much you are over the threshold. All of those things combined mean you're making bank as the rogues. Oh, of course, lucky cigarette case and all in as well. All in? Yeah, her too. So there's there's an option there for going big money. The other thing that's worth comparing with Hot Streak, I suppose, is the fact that you could do this all game. If, you're, if you have Leo down, you've got four actions a turn. One action a turn, burgle, every single turn of the game. You might not make five resources every turn, but if you're making three or four a turn, that's better than having an emergency cash. You're getting to kind of Preston levels of resources at that point, right? and that's seriously rich. That then starts to turn on well-connected, cunning, money talks, You know, making money for money's sake so that you can pay for favours, all of that starts to feed into a game plan for rogues, which is about just crushing scenarios under the weight of heavy coins that you're carrying around with you. I like it a lot. You know, I think the other challenging thing about this card is that it contains tests, and rogues have lots of economy already. You know, I'm a big fan of Lone Wolf, and that's just the steady one extra resource a turn. Works really nicely because I'm a solo player, so it's always on. I've also not yet tried Gregory Gry. I'm kind of excited to try him. That's another way of making resources as you do tests, but they don't have to be intellect tests. So you can make resources as you evade enemies, or if you're Tony, as you punch enemies. You have lots of other options there. So, you know, this comes with some caveats. People historically would have said burglary is probably a little bit below the curve, and I would have agreed with that. I have run burglary index. But I found it's action intensive and you've got to find the right shroud. There's maybe a couple of hidden costs to it. 
And this adds another hidden cost of you don't even know how much, how many resources you're getting. So yeah, an interesting one. I think a, a cool one as well, though. And I'd, I'd love to see the kind of the perfect deck where when you see burglary on the list, you go, yeah, makes perfect sense to me. All of the other cards are singing. This is a good good choice. I just realized my card piles are all over the place. Wow, we're on to Mystics already. Oh my goodness, look at Akachi. Wow, shout out, by the way, to FFG for putting investigators on art so that we can actually see them. She looks incredible. This is Spectral Razor. And this means, of course, that this would fit with Read the Signs and Ethereal Form, my current favourite card of the cycle. It's a two-cost event for Mystic, Willpower and Combat Icons, which makes me think it's going to be the fighty one. It's spell-traded. As a spell event, you can put it on Diana. You can, you know, get cards from the Heirloom of Hyperborea. You can find it with Arcane Initiate. You can make it cheaper with Uncaged the Soul. All of those things. Fight. Add your Willpower value to your skill value for this attack. Immediately before this attack, you may engage the attacked enemy. This attack deals plus one damage or plus two damage instead if the enemy is non-elite. Huh. Engagement baked in, a la Taunt. Is Taunt the only other card that allows you to engage enemies? Heroic Rescue as well. Plus one damage is standard, so two cost event for two damage, but it's a three damage hit if you're attacking non-elite. Particularly useful for hitting nasty irritating three health enemies also super useful for killing off swarms where they might only have one health each but if there's three of them the damage will overflow who likes running this agnes fights at a seven akachi fights at an eight that's pretty good jim's at a seven as well it's all right mateo is only at a six somewhat less good daisy at a five also not so cool Norman at a six, kind of not convinced. Luke fights at a six, but can play this from other locations. Ah, and when he plays events from a connecting location, he plays them as if he's engaged with each enemy at his location, which makes complete sense to me, because otherwise you could play this card and pull enemies out of the location you're currently in to somewhere else, which would be weird and kind of broken. So that makes sense to me. That's kind of cool. Seth obviously loves playing it because she can play it repeatedly. She fights at a six. I'm thinking Akachi and maybe Agnes, they like this more than other people. You know, Agnes with this and a charge from Forbidden Knowledge can kill a four health enemy in an action, which is pretty tasty. Obviously, it competes to a certain extent with Shriveling, but this is your one and done option. So yeah, I, I think what I really want to do is put re Read the Signs, Ethereal Form, and Spectral Razor in a Luke deck, and that gives me a lot of options for doing things at distance and doing things from the gate box. I think that seems really cool. Yeah, really nice little tasty card. The art is top-notch. So cool. And that answers what the combat version would be like for those questions we had about how Read the Signs and Ethereal Form, form would turn into a combat version okay the next card is word of command this is another spell event wow mystics i love it when they just get piles of spells two cost two xp this time light for the saving of our eyes heat for the saving of our skin a spark for the saving of our souls is this ikiak on the art do you know about ikiak ikiak i think she's called ikiak was designed by one of the card councils at Arkham Knights, I think in 2018. So she is 
uh, well, I'm, I actually, my terminology is maybe not accurate. I was going to say Inuit, but I would say Native American, I guess. Maybe not Inuit, but another related tribe. And yes, yeah, she has an ability. I can't remember her ability, actually, but it was quite cool to see the Arkham Files touching on that as representation. I thought that was really nice. We've got three aces as well, which is another ethnicity that's not normally represented on art. And I think good step, FFG. What does the card do? Name a spell card. Search your deck for one copy of the name card and draw it. Shuffle your deck. Pay two and two XP to fetch any spell you want and draw it. Okay. Yeah. What am I missing? It's it's yet more spells. You put it on Diana Esperance and you can play it three times. Pretty good. Who can run this and Astounding Revelation? Norman? Luke? So you can fire Astounding Revelation if you search your deck. Is this just a win more card? The card you run when you've already upgraded into really powerful spells and you just want to guarantee seeing them? And maybe where you're not running Arcane Initiate because you're running some other an ally like Diana or Renfield or Alyssa. At that point, you just want to fetch the spells you need. Maybe. Are we going to see something that triggers off playing spells in the same way as the Heirloom of Hyperborea? In which case, this sort of grows in power again, doesn't it? Where every time you play a spell, gain a resource or whatever. Other thing to mention, Marie can fetch any spell with this actionlessly if she has Doom in play. That starts to make this seem super potent. Yeah, okay. Uh, cool. I'm a bit underwhelmed because it's sort of so non-flash that I'm not sure if it's not wildly thrilling or just actually really good and will become a kind of game staple. You know, you fetch your Ward of Protection or your Deny Existence or you're desperately hurting for a Mist or a Rite of Seeking. You pay two, you fetch whichever card it is you need. It gives all that more flexibility to that role we like to call Mystic which is a kind of all-rounder and can do everything. And this is just another way of making sure you can do that. I'm just dropping the cards there, as you can hear. Okay, next is Moonstone. God damn those disgusting Mythos Busters boys who announced this card. May they rot in whatever is holding on to the Moonstone hell. Yeah, exactly. This is a three-cost, zero-XP asset. It's item, relic, and dreamlands traded, which I really like. You get... Plus one willpower and plus one agility, which sounds familiar. You cannot play or commit Moonstone from your hand. After you discard Moonstone from your hand, play it, paying its cost. And it takes up the accessory slot. I love this. What do some Survivor investigators have in common? They like to chuck cards out of their hand. They've got Cornered, which allows them to ditch cards. Or there are certain investigators such as Patrice discards her hand at the end of turn. Ashkan discards cards to Ready Duke. Wendy discards cards to redraw tokens. They have ways of discarding cards to do things. Then there are other investigators who maybe don't do that but might want to overdraw, like Silas. And that leaves, what, Calvin and Rita, who maybe just want to have a handful of cards, at which point, if they go up to nine, they discard this at the end of the turn and they get to play it for free. It gives you two boosts for a three-cost, zero-XP asset. That's like on a par with Tooth of Estley. It's the same boosts, and it gives you them for everything. It doesn't give you them for treacheries and things like that. It's it's for everything. It does compete with Peter Sylvester level 2. doesn't give you the sanity heal. And it makes me think, 
that maybe this is for when you don't want to run Peter Sylvester, but you do want these boosts, and maybe you want a different ally in your ally slot, and you don't have something you really want in your accessory slot. Maybe you want to run Relic Hunter and your Wendy. You've got Wendy's Amulet, two Moonstones, two Cherished Keepsakes, and that's your suite. Maybe you double up, run Peter Sylvester 2 and Moonstone, and get plus two willpower, plus two agility. Super defensive, treacheries don't threaten you much. If you're doing anything to do with evasion like Rita or Wendy, you're really set up then. Maybe you're wearing track shoes as well, at which point, super mighty. Yeah, I think it's a really cool card. I think the three cost is probably about right. You know, it's worth the investment. And I think it'll be interesting to see how quickly people can get it into play, because I think people will find ways of getting it out of their hand really fast and getting it down, which is kind of cool. And and in fact, actually, I should just add, the fact that you can't play it means if you see this in your hand at the start, it changes the way you approach those early turns, that you're not just like, okay, I'll play this down, now I've got this set for the rest of the game. You're actually actively looking for a way of losing the Moonstone so that it gets triggered. I think that's just a nice little twist. It's not, okay, here's another card I need to play first turn, let's just put it down. Next is a survivor card, and then there's a neutral after that, so we're nearly finished. This is Sharp Vision. It's a 1 XP skill with 1 intellect icon. It's innate and developed. Max 1 committed per skill test. Ah, I think it's going to be like Brute Force. While it's committed during a basic investigate action, it gains double intellect icons, so 3 in total. And the text, if this test is successful by 2 or more, discover 1 additional clue at this location. It's deduction, but you've got to work for it. Unlike deduction level zero, it's giving you plus three rather than plus one, but you can't combine it with flashlight, with what else can you search your location with? Oh, lantern. Can't add it to that. You've got to do the basic investigate. Kind of love it. Like, as my immediate reaction, seems pretty cool. The art, by the way... Andreas Zafaratos, it's a lovely flapper woman, but it looks like she's all tentacled in the shadow she's casting, which is kind of horrific and exciting. Yeah, so is it any good? Yeah, I think it's really good. 1 XP seems okay. Obviously, Silas can run it. You're chucking this in for a plus 3 or a plus 4 if you're min, and you're getting two clues. You're probably passing by two or more at that point. All but the hardest shrouds are stopping you doing that. It opens up clue acceleration for the people who can't take deduction. So maybe Min is not that bothered, but any survivor who is thinking, God, I really wish I could just scoop clues a bit more quickly would like it. And maybe you're reaching the point where you don't like the look what I found, pay two to get two clue thing, and you want a different way of rolling. This fits in quite nicely. Survivors do have, on the whole, quite low intellect. I'm thinking here of Ashcan, two. Yorick, two. Rita, two. I've also just had a thought as I was wondering that. Who ends up with bananas high stats and no acceleration? Calvin. And if Calvin has sharp vision and brute force, if you've ended up with four or five damage or horror on Calvin, so your stats are at a four or five, chucking this in for a plus three means you're probably going to succeed by two against all but the worst pulls, and you're getting acceleration baked in, which feels really good. Maybe they're like sleeper Calvin cards. Quite powerful. 4 XP is a sweet. Will we see an, uh, an evasion one as well then? That could be cool if so. Or maybe we don't and we see Moonstone as a defensive card instead. Kind of shores up that space. 
yeah, nice card. Really fun card, I think. Opening up more clue acceleration, always good, and having fun ways of doing it. I'm in favour of it, yeah. And finally, it's Lucid Dreaming. Well, I don't feel like I need to say too much about this because we talked about it on the cast in a recent episode. It's a one-cost event, 2 XP. It's spell-traded, so people who like spells can do spelly things. Choose a card in your play area or reveal a card in your hand. Search your deck for another copy of that card and draw it. Shuffle your deck. All life is only a set of pictures in the brain, among which there's no difference betwixt those born of real things and those born of inward dreamings. H.B. Lovecraft, The Silver Key. So we talked about this with Three Aces and Mandy. Fetch two cards from your deck. Really cool with Myriad. Fetching the final or final and penultimate cards to fill out a Myriad set, if that's what you want to do. It's also, I think, really handy as a sort of... I want to say setup, but I don't really mean setup card. Just the card that that fills out whatever setup you're using that has any kind of limited uses. So you're worried about your shriveling running out. You lucid dreaming it and fetch another one. You are worried about an ally dying that's really important. You target that ally with lucid dreaming and fetch your other copy. It means that all the consistency that you've worked hard to put into your deck by running duplicates is rewarded. I've sometimes had situations where I do think I'm going to let this ally die or lose this asset to a crit chill or whatever it is because I'm thinking I don't mind that happening because I know I have another copy and lucid dreaming just says not only do you know you have another copy but if you play me you can have the other copy waiting ready to go that feels really strong I think the other thing that it nicely combines with is any particular events that are kind of tech for things so say you're running Intel report and you've, you've hit not one but two high shroud locations. Before you play the first Intel report, you can lucidly dream it, get the other one, and then you're set up to go. If you're about to bust into a final location and you think, God, I've got one vicious blow level two. If only I had my other one, I could one shot this huge enemy. You lucidly dream. You make sure you have both in hand. You know, my, my lightning gun is about to run out of ammo. My BAR, if only I had my other one. You fetch it and you're ready. So it adds this kind of consistency, I suppose, and paying 2 XP and 1 for that feels really nice. You compare it then, actually, with Word of Command, where you're paying 2 and 2 XP, and you're fetching any spell. I mean, they actually combine quite nicely. You could play Word of Command, fetch any spell you need, your Mists of Rulier, and then play Lucid Dreaming, and fetch your other copy of Mr. Rillier, if that's what you really wanted to do. And you just zoom them out of the deck. I wonder if Lucid Dreaming really worked with a Mandy 50-card deck, where you can search your entire deck for two copies of a card. Like, I think that feels really potent at that point. But I also just love it as a consistency card. You know, I think, weirdly, it makes me think of Charisma. It's a, a sort of a becomes a deck staple, where you're like, this smooths out the challenges this deck m- might face. And where it will be, I think challenging to find spaces to include it is the fact that we as players have learned to deal with that as we play either by drawing aggressively or by just making do with whatever we play and so then suddenly being like oh you can actually fetch any card you need it's like I've never thought about that as a possibility because it just wasn't available to me I sometimes find that when you go into a location where it says you know pay one you can fetch an item from your deck and I think uh I'm kind of making do without them. You know, obviously sometimes I have amazing items, but often I just go, oh, uh, okay, I think I'm all right. You know, I'll just wing it. So yeah, it's it's sort of opening the door to a new realm of exciting opportunity, which is cool. 
So that's it. That's the pack. Cool pack, I think. I love the 22222, just sort of steady. All, I think, really interesting cards. Let's do our little rapid fire round. One word review if we can make it one word. My cards have ended up out of order as well. Safeguard, wicked. Practice makes perfect, exciting. Extensive research, expensive. Three aces, cool. Burglary, head scratcher, hyphenated, so it's one word. Winchester, no. Spectral Razor, sexy. It's just awesome art is really what I wanted to say. Art, does that count? Word of command, huh. I'm, I'm shrugging. Shrug, that would be my word. Moonstone, jazzy. Sharp vision, super cool. I'm doing a big hand gesture of excitement. Lucid dreaming, solid. Yeah, that's my review. Really cool pack. Really enjoyed it. Really fun to share it with you. Sorry it's coming out at a weird time, but I'd rather do it than not, and I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you thought about the pack. What did I miss? What did you get excited about that I've completely forgotten? I am but one man in a sea of ignorance. Isn't that the quote? It's something like that. Anyway, getting carried away here. Thanks very much for listening, and catch you on the next one. Bye! Bye!